humans, Ellie Krug, Practical Idealist here. I'm out working to change the world for the better, and so this week will be a repeat of one of my favorite shows. Thanks so very much. Hello, humans, hello, humans, hello, humans of the world. It is me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950 from uh, Eden Prairie, Minnesota, but I really like to usually say Minneapolis. Um, and. I am here to talk with you for the next hour with another edition of Ellie 2.0 Radio with fresh material, with fresh Ellie, fresh Ellie for you. Hmm. And, uh, and I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. And I'm thrilled to give you some normalcy. Okay. Yeah. I think the word virus is going to come up once or twice in this show, but let me tell you, that's not our focus. I just want to give you some normalcy about idealism and idealists and all that kind of stuff. And so we have a really great show. As I said, um, uh, the big interview is with a woman named Diane Muntean from Steamboat Springs, Colorado. You may remember I went out to Steamboat Springs last fall to help them launch a community-wide program around human inclusivity. Um, you're going to like listening to Diane. Uh, she has a lot of energy. And in my C block, I'll talk about my idealism. But let's begin. With an anniversary, we're just past. Now, if I was really on the ball, I'd be having talked about this last week, but I'm not on the ball, okay? So uh, last week, last Wednesday on April 22nd, it was Earth Day. Not only that, it was the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. Um, and I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about one of the architects of Earth Day. And much of what follows, not all, but much from, is from an April 20th New York Times piece by John, John Schwartz. The title of that piece is, quote, The Profound Radical Message of the Organizer of Earth Day, unquote. All right. So the first Earth Day happened on April 22nd, 1970. That was a Wednesday. And I'm saying that for a reason, because 20 million people, almost 10 percent of the population of of the United States at the time, 20 million people took part in the very first Earth Day. They did some kind of, of environmental activity, although back then it was called ecology. You may not remember that, but it was called ecology. Okay? And so you got 20 million people on a Wednesday, all right, <laughs> doing cleaning up, uh, doing marches. There was even a mock trial of the automobile, okay, where um, the automobile lost in the trial and people smashed a sample car with uh, sledgehammers. Now, let me just paint the picture a little bit better for you because this was the time of the quote-unquote hippie, all right? Um, we weren't even by, you know, um, April 22nd, 1970, we weren't even a year past Woodstock or Stonewall. You know, Stonewall riots where, you know, the modern-day LGBTQ movement and revolution began. Um, this day had such an impact uh, that it led to terrific environmental change in the United States. Because of Earth Day, okay, because of the movement around environmental protection, Congress passed the Clean Air Act. It passed the Clean Water Act. Uh, not that we have them a whole lot um, at present, but just stay tuned. That'll change. It'll go back to the way it was. And then the they passed and created the Environmental Protection Agency. I mean, all because of Earth Day. And this happened be long before there was understanding about climate change. You know, the original first Earth Day, as I said, was about ecology 
and understanding man's role in the world compared to nature and animals. Uh, today, in 2020, Earth Day was celebrated in 180 nations and uh, making it the world's most widely observed secular holiday. The architect of Earth Day were two people. One was Wisconsin Senator Gaylord Nelson. Maybe someday I will do a piece about him as an idealist. Um, but who I want to talk about is the other architect of Earth Day, who at the time was a 25-year-old college student by the name of Dennis Hayes. Um, Dennis Hayes was born in Wisconsin, but at age six, moved with his family to Camas, C-A-M-A-S, Washington, where his father worked in a paper mill. And I'm, uh, I'm absolutely remembering what the 60s and 70s were like because it was a time where industries ruled and they could do whatever they want to. And this paper mill in uh, Dennis Hayes' neighbor or in his uh, community was a major polluter. Um, it it uh, discharged water into the, into the local river, killed fish. Um, Excuse me. It had air pollution that was so bad that it created acid rain um, and damaged cars in the parking lot of the of the paper mill. In fact, they had to put a they installed a car wash at the end of the parking lot so people could wash off all of the acid and, and spew from uh, the uh, discharge pipes of the uh, of the. Paper mill. Okay, Ellie, keep going. Okay. So Dennis Hayes then graduated from a community college in Washington State and then he attended Stanford. Along the way, he backpacked across the Middle East and Asia. And it was during one of those backpack trips where he realized that humans did not abide by the principles that govern the natural world, that govern animals and plants and all other things. And he realized that we were really killing the planet. And he went to meet with Senator Gaylord Nelson to talk about a teach-in um, on environmentalism, just to have a, some kind of a teach-in, have a day about teaching. By the end of their two-hour meeting, they had jointly agreed on the idea of an Earth Day, the very first Earth Day. And I'll tell you, there's a quote in the New York Times piece uh, by uh, John Schwartz that I just love uh, because it really kind of captures what Dennis Hayes was like. Um, I'm quoting now, quote, the young Mr. Hayes burned with a fire that clearly charmed a New York Times journalist, Gladwin Hill, who described him as a man who, again, a quote, hops around the country like an ecological Dustin Hoffman, preaching mobilization for environmental reform with sober but evangelical militants, unquote. Um, of course, this would be from the 1970s because it references Dustin Hoffman, who was an iconic figure in the 70s. And so you have this man, Dennis Hayes, who um, convinced – he drops out of Stanford, convinces some of his other Stanford colleagues, student colleagues to drop out. And they go and they set up an office in uh, – off of, on top of a burger joint. That's the phrase used in the article – in DuPont Circle. By the way, I lived near DuPont Circle um, not too far, not too long, in six years after Earth Day was created. So I have an idea where this burger joint was. And, and in the span of less than six months, Dennis Hayes and his colleagues launched Earth Day. They did. 
Now think about that. And the way the world works right now, I mean, you've got to have committee on top of committee and top of committee and all of that kind of stuff. Although you're going to hear soon from Diane Muntean about how just a small church in a small community can have a profound impact. But that's today. 50 years ago, to be able to go launch something that became a worldwide phenomenon, became this big phenomenon in the United States where 10 percent of the population takes place and they did it in less than six months. That is unbelievable. And one of the founders, one of the people working on this was uh, the man who was also an ad person who came up with the idea, uh, the theme of Think Small for Volkswagen. He's the one who coined the phrase Earth Day. Okay. Now, that was in um, April of 1970. Uh, Jimmy Carter became president in 1976. And after that, that's what uh, he appointed uh, Dennis Hayes uh, to um, run uh, a brand new organization called the Solar Research Institute, now known as the, Inter- the National Reno- Renewable Energy Laboratory. But he appointed Hayes to, to go out and start you know, drumming up support and resources for solar research and solar energy. That was pretty radical in 1970 or in 1976, trust me. Okay, but then uh, Ronald Reagan was elected in 1980 (laughs) and he cut money uh, for solar solar and renewable energy projects. Oh, guess what? Yep, that fits a pattern, doesn't it? Um, And so Hayes went back to to, uh, Stanford University. He graduated, got his law degree. He started to practice law. But since 1992, he's been the president of the Bullet Foundation in Seattle, which leads on environmental policy. It also – what it does is it also um, funds other environmental agencies. In 1980, Hayes began to hear about this thing called climate change and um, he immediately understood the implications of it. And then he started advocating that we pay attention to climate change. Um, and, and one of the things he talked about was how the temperature of the world, the temperature of the earth was going to change with massive ill effects for all humans and animals. And guess what? Everything that Dennis Hayes talked about beginning in 1980 about climate change has come to fruition. Everything. We ignored him collectively as a country. And, of course, guess what we're doing right now? So uh, Dennis Hayes is still – he's still the executive director of the president of the Bullet Foundation. Uh, the man is uh, 70-some years old, uh, 76, and uh, he plans to work for four more years and retire at age 80. That's what idealists do. That's what they do. They vision. They execute. And they don't give up. They just grab on. And like a dog that won't give up its bone, they don't give up on their ideas. An idealist is born. An idealist dies. An idealist. Okay, now you have the story about Earth Day and all of that stuff. In the C Block, I'm going to talk about my reactions to Earth Day because I remember it. All right. When we come back, we're going to speak with Diane Muntean from Steamboat Springs, Colorado, about a project that I helped with last year. And uh, I think you're going to really like Diane because she's got a lot of energy. We'll be back in a second. Thanks.
back on AM 950 LE 2.0 radio. Uh, so, Earth Day, I know we're past it, but, you know, I get ready for, um, you know, Earth Day number 51 next year. And, um, and of course, um, as I said in the, in the last segment, inspired by quite an idealist. And I'm really happy now for the big interview to introduce you to another big idealist uh, whose name isn't nearly as famous as Dennis Hayes, but nonetheless very famous in her community. I have done Diane Montine here on the line. She presently lives in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. She holds a, a, a bachelor's degree in counseling from Pennsylvania State uh, University. Uh, she has worked uh, for... Uh, a long time with her husband, they founded a company called Muntean Leadership Group, where they consult and facilitate coaching and personal development leadership for various organizations like Microsoft and Verizon and Merck. Um, and uh, she's also very active in her community. She's on the United Way board for Route County, which is where Steamboat Springs is located. And she's also very involved in the heart of Steamboat Methodist Church. Her personal mission is to help individuals create and live lives they passionately love. Diane, welcome to Ellie Dubino Radio. Oh, it's a joy to be with you, Ellie. Uh, I'm really thrilled to have you. Now, we should set the stage a little bit better for the listeners. Uh, my longtime uh, listeners know that I've talked about going to Steamboat Springs last uh, September to do some, you know, work around the community. And uh, you and I got the chance to work on that project in Steamboat. In fact, you were one of the major architects of it, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. And what a day we had. Oh, well, we sure did. And you, you brought along a, a cooler with Diet Pepsi to keep me well hydrated the entire 14-hour day. So, Diane, <laughs> all right. So, let's, um, let's, uh, let's first talk about... Um, what happened in Steamboat? How did it come about? Because a lot of this was instigated by the Methodist Church, uh, the heart of Steamboat. And, uh, and what, why don't you describe what the, the church set out to do and where it is now um, in that process? Okay. Well, we, this process started uh, three and a half years ago when my husband and I uh, were helping to guide the church in a visioning exercise. And we asked the congregation uh, a question that I often use in corporate America. And it was, imagine that anything is possible and there are no limitations. If you had four wishes for our church and our church community, what would those four wishes be? So it was really encouraging members of the congregation to imagine a, a beautiful, amazing future. And out of that, many of the responses were about creating an, a, an even more inclusive and welcoming environment where everyone felt safe to worship, um, everyone was well-loved, um, we could connect with all people. And, and we have a, a, a motto at the, our church. It's called open hearts, open minds, open doors. And that's been in the front of our church forever. But we really wanted to live into that in new, more deep and profound ways. So out of that visioning exercise and where those answers um, sort of crafted 
three key areas or priorities for our church. And one was inclusiveness. The second was engagement, which is very related. And the third was spirit. And so I headed up the inclusiveness team of amazing um, people in our church. And, and our first goal, we had tangible goals, was to focus inward and ensure that we had a very inclusive mindset internally within our church congregation. Uh, that focus took about a year, and the result was we became an officially reconciling church where we have a welcoming statement. It's very long. I won't read that to you, but we wanted to do the internal work first, and and that uh, reconciling statement was voted on and uh, almost universally approved by our congregation. Then the second um, goal was to make a difference in the broader community, to be known in the community for being inclusive, welcoming, and loving. And so out of that came the vision of creating a series on inclusivity. We call that series Being Human. <laughs> and it was envisioned as a five-part series designed to help participants appreciate with diverse humans in a mindful and compassionate way. Okay, and so what, um, why don't we paint the stage for what Springs is? So many of my listeners will be familiar generally with the idea that Steamboat Springs is a, a ski resort um, in the wintertime. Tell us a little bit about the community. Tell us about Route County. Well, first of all, I think it's the most beautiful place in the world, which is why uh, we chose to live here after having lived uh, outside Philadelphia for most of our adult life. Um, though it is a ski resort town, why we chose Steamboat was because of its authenticity. Um, it's very real community. Uh, there are the values in this county and in this town and in this valley are all around relationships and family and uh, social consciousness, environmental consciousness, health and wellness. Um, it's not the gla glamorous resort town where wealth is 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 revered and shown uh, ostentatiously at all. There's money here, but it, people do not show it off. So the real authentic, authentic nature of this is what was so appealing to us. There are 12,000, about 12,000 residents, full-time um, locals, as we call them. And um, it's a vibrant, you know, right now is a challenging time like anywhere else, but it is a very vibrant, growing community, a lot of location-neutral people have gravitated here just because of the quality of life, um, as have, you know, second homeowners, as have people who are retiring and wanting to be in a, in a just a fabulous uh, experience of, of living. Okay. Well, and, and it, I, I will echo that it is a very, very beautiful place. Um, it is, I agree, it's one of the prettiest places I've ever gone to visit. Okay, so, and, and um, we're going to have to take a break in a few seconds here. How big is the church, the heart of Steamboat Springs? <clears throat> Methodist yeah, that's, Church. That's a really good question. You know, we're, we're not that data conscious, but on an average, 
Sunday when we were able to go to church, you know, we had two services. We would have more than 200 people attend those two services. What's unique about it is we are one of the rare churches that is actually growing, which in today's world says a lot about the connection and the and and the welcome nature of our church. Okay. Well, it is very welcoming, and I'll attest to that. Now, we're going to have to take a break, but when we come back, uh, Diane, I want to talk about the initiative I got involved with in uh, mm-hmm. Steamboat Springs and talk a little bit about the reaction from the community and maybe what else that rippled to. Okay. Perfect. All right. Well, listeners, I've been speaking with uh, Diane Muntean, uh, who is from Steamboat Springs, who is quite the idealist. We're going to get into that further in the next segment. You've been listening to me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio. If you like what you hear, visit my website at Ellie at elliekrug.com. Or, you know, I love to have you follow me, please, on Twitter. The handle is at Ellie Krug or Instagram at Ellie J. Krug. We'll be back in a minute. Thanks. And we are back on LE 2.0 Radio. All right, we've been listening, we've been speaking to um, Diane Muntean from uh, uh, Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Diane and I worked together last year on this wonderful, wonderful project uh, that was launched by the Heart of Steamboat Methodist Church. So, Diane, before we took our break, um, uh, you you kind of laid the foundation about what Steamboat Springs is like as a community and what uh, Heart of Steamboat uh, uh, Methodist Church was attempting to accomplish. Uh, And so uh, one of the things that you did is you brought me into town, and this isn't at all about Ellie Krug, but I'm just – you know, you had that was quite the commitment because it cost for me to come to town, and then of course we spent a day and a quarter uh, doing things in the community. So, how did you know? How did somebody sell that idea that we should bring somebody from out of town in? Well, that somebody was me <laughs> um, and my team. <clears throat> so when. The word got out in the community, and and in a community like ours, that can happen pretty quickly, that we were creating a Being Human series on inclusivity. One of the executive directors of a nonprofit in our town said, you should check out Ellie Krug. I heard Ellie present at a conference in Denver, Colorado, a year ago, and Ellie shared her gray area thinking uh, program and process. So I I did my research, um, contacted you, Ellie, loved everything I read about gray area thinking and said, this is the perfect session one to launch a multi-session, you know, five or more sessions on being human with various groups of people who are other than us. <laughs> right. So, so, of course, you and I talked, and it was about a $10,000 investment, and I, that did not daunt me, being the idealist that I am, as you know. <laughs> so I asked for support uh, within the church, and got about $5,000 of support there and then um, talked to, 
some uh, organizations in Denver, and they uh, contributed another $5,000. So I always knew money was not going to be the obstacle. And then we began to craft this very busy day that we had together. So well, do you want me to uh, now, outline what that was like? Well, uh, let, uh, let me just summarize it quickly because I want to yeah. get into the other uh, elements of this uh, Being Human okay. program. So um, very quickly, I mean, I think you and I got together. You picked me up from my hotel at like 730 in the morning or something like that. We went to yep. the high school and and did uh, two presentations for 400 high school students each about be, what what it means to be othered and how to get past it. And then I think we did, what, three great two-hour two gray area thinking trainings uh, that day, as well as I met with uh, students who were gay, you know, identified as gay and lesbian or tri- transgender or non-binary after my presentation at the high school. It was about 14 hours, if I remember. <laughs> and, and about 1,200 people were heard your message, connected with your message across all those sessions. So, yes, two of those sessions were at the – community college and then two others were open to the general public and we had you know over a hundred people at each of those sessions yeah, it was just it was it was it was I was so um, touched by first of all by you and your passion but also by you know the leadership at the church because I you know sat and worked with the committee for on a prior occasion where we did some planning. <laughs> You know, and so, all right, so we set it with gray area thinking, but you didn't stop there. That was the foundational. And then you have other themes that you went forward with. What were those? Right. So session two was about being human with our differently abled community members. So people from, you know, with autism, with physical disabilities, and we work with nonprofits and heard the stories of some of those individuals uh, so that was session two. Session three was being human with our immigrant community members. And, oh, my gosh, we heard the journey of, uh, of seven immigrants ranging in ages from 12 to 80 who came from seven different countries, came to Simpo for unique you know, reasons, dreams and visions of what life could be like. I mean, it was powerful. Um, well, and, and let, can I just stop and yeah. jump in there? And, and yeah. what you what you are talking about is about storytelling and yeah. story listening. You yeah. know, we're a society of those of storytellers and listeners, and and people's stories grab us. They do, mm-hmm. and we remember those stories. So yes. I can understand it would be very powerful. Go on. It, okay. it was very. Now we were supposed to have session four in early May, that's being postponed to September because of the virus. Uh, But that session is going to be about being human with our economically struggling community members. Mm. And and wow, how many people are economically struggling right now? What a a profound and appropriate uh, topic to talk about. And again, we're working with local nonprofits who serve this community, and then in November, session five is going to be uh, being human with our community members struggling with addiction and mental health issues. Uh, so that's the, the big picture plan. But I really want to emphasize that in every one of these sessions, Ellie, we built upon the toolkit that you provided us back in September oh. with gray area thinking. 
well, with your ARC acronym, um, and I'm sure you've talked about that. Awareness, we- awareness, risk-taking, and compassion. Yes, I, and that so warms my heart because, of course, you know it's about rippling to other humans. Right. Diane, now, so here's the unique thing, okay? And this is why I really wanted to have you on the show. It's a, it's a church, Okay, yep. you know, and and of course it's a Methodist church, and we don't really need to get into the politics, but we know that there's been quite a division in the Methodist church. I mean, here you are, your Methodist church bringing in a transgender woman to do training for the community. I mean, that's quite symbolic and quite the statement. But you're a church, and you've touched and reached thousands of people in this small community with this with this being human project. Um, uh, and 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 I want to I want to ask about reactions in the community. Okay, you know, good and po- you know, positive and maybe not so positive. But before we do that, okay, because yeah. right now I know I have listeners who are like, how can I find out more about this being human project that Steamboat Spring Steamboat's Heart of Steamboat Methodist Church engaged in? If somebody wants to get because you have a plan. You laid it out. This is what we were going to do, you know, and, and um, to the extent that you can share that, you know, with other people, because obviously that's more rippling in the world. Who who would they contact? Where would they get uh, – What who could they email or contact in some way to get that plan? I, I think probably the best person is to contact me, quite frankly, Um I am also a, a, a leader in another capacity in our church. Um, so, you know, Diane at Diane, Diane at com. That's ridiculously long, I know. Or they can go on the heartofsteamboat.com website. Or So I think those are probably the best ways okay. of uh, and your, and your last name is spelled M-U-N-T-E-A-N. So it's Diane at Muntine Leadership. Group.com. Group.com. Yeah. There you go. Okay. All right. Now, um, uh, in uh, we're, we are actually starting to run out of time, but community reaction, positive and, and not so positive. Universally, lovingly positive. Oh. You know, you felt it. Oh, I Absolutely. Mean, you felt it. We had great press coverage, as you know. Um, there was no pushback at all uh, from anyone that I came in contact with. Quite frankly, we're known, our, our church is, is known now as this amazingly welcome organization that welcomes all, loves all, believes in all. And um, we are... The, the, a go-to organization, it doesn't matter that we're religious-based or not, for helping other groups embrace these principles as well. Well, and that's quite – that's very important, okay, because people and organizations need to be shown the way. Yes. And, you know, and, and there is a methodology to all of this. Yes. And, and I know that when I was there, there was talk about the county, you know, wanting to start, um, you know, its own inclusivity kind of initiative – you know, for its team members and stuff. I don't know whether that took off or not. But um, uh, all right. Now, uh, Diane, I'm going to move and I want to talk about you. Okay. Okay. All right. I mean, you are one of the most dynamic people I've ever met. But it's not a give. And you're working with these major, major corporations and companies. And I mean, you have a very, very, um, you know, 
a blue label kind of list of, of, of clients, what what has made you an idealist? Because it's not a given that somebody so successful would decide, well, on top of all the work I've got, I'm going to go do more work to change <laughs> the community and change the world. So what made you an idealist? I think really two key factors. Uh, one is very early in my career, I became really clear about my purpose in life. Um, and you mentioned that in the bio. Uh, but my purpose is to create and live lives they passionately love. And everything I've done in my career and outside of my professional life, including that at the church, is connected with that. Uh, whether it's a huge leadership team for a Fortune 10 company or whether it is, you know, an individual who attends a Being Human session, I'm driven to help people live lives they passionately love. And when, when, and I'm blessed to live that life myself. So connecting with my personal purpose and aligning everything with that purpose is where I get that passion and energy and drive. Also, as I mentioned at the beginning of this session, this radio talk, the power of visioning the future. And whether I'm coaching someone on a career coaching or I'm leading a big organization to vision their next chapter of their success story, it's about imagining what's possible and (laughs) wishing for what you want. And and so I live that. I practice that at every level of my life interaction. So purpose and vision is the short answer to your question. Well, you know, it's interesting because in the segment that we uh, just did about Earth Day, you know, it all Earth Day all came about because uh, a man named uh, Dennis Hayes uh, sat with a, a senator from Wisconsin and they talked about what would be possible about trying to focus the world on – on um, on the environment, on eco- mm-hmm. the word eco- was ecology back then. And yeah. so it's the same idea what you're talking about right now. And this is something that idealists do, is that they have to be able to have kind of this view of how the world could be different. You right. know, and and right now we're seeing that with the virus, all of the talk about what we're being reminded about, about how we're interconnected with each other, about how, you know, uh, people who were who no one thought were heroes before are now big heroes. I mean, of course, yeah. our nurses and our doctors, but our but our grocery store workers. You know, mm-hmm. can we envision what the world will look like post virus, where those folks are respected and elevated in a different way? So. Well, Diane, I'll tell you, um, it's really just been really great to talk to you. And I, and you and I, we have these conversations where we speak on the phone and we just keep going and it's just wonderful. But we're going to have to uh, uh, leave on, on this now. But I just wanted to tell you, um, thanks. Um, thanks for being on the show, of course. But I really wanted to say thanks for what you're doing in Steamboat. I mean, I'm so grateful that you believed in my work and brought me out there. But I'm really, really grateful for what you and your colleagues at uh, Heart of Steamboat Methodist Church and in the Steamboat Greater Steamboat community really are trying to accomplish. I mean, you are a model. What you are doing 
is something that any community can do if it just simply puts its mind to it. So I want to thank you for that. Well, thank you. And I would be delighted to help any community, any group, any organization and share what worked for us. So, Okay. It, well, thank you. One, go ahead. One go ahead. Thing, can I just add is that in keeping with that visioning theme, I do vision bringing you back to Steamboat Springs <laughs> and Heart of Steamboat. Uh, it just is the right thing to do because you're such a big part of our community and our lives here now. And your work is profound and making a amazing difference in the world. And what a blessing to have you in our lives. Oh, Diane, thank you for that. That is really, really kind. I really appreciate that. Okay, my friend. Well, listen, I need to go, um, but thank you so very much for being on LE 2.0 Radio. And uh, you and your husband, stay healthy, and your kids and, and grandkids. Everybody stay healthy, and hopefully we'll be seeing some each other sometime soon. That would be wonderful. Okay. You take care, All Ellie, right. as well. Thank, okay. Thanks, Diane. Bye-bye. All right, listeners. So we've been speaking with Diane Montine from Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Reach out to her. Um, uh, and I'm not going to remember the email address, but email me and I'll get it for you if you didn't get it written down because they have a wonderful plan at their church about how to make communities more inclusive and welcoming. All right. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug at Ellie 2.0 Radio. I'll be back with my C block in a second. We're back on AM 950 with Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio. Okay, well, first of all, um, I have a red face, all right? I did not know that Diane was going to say what she said at the end where she said, can I say one more thing? Um, And I'm just totally humbled by what her words are. So secondly, um, every organization needs a Diane Montine. Every organization. She is a doer. She's not only a visioner. But she is a doer. And every organization needs someone like her. They do. All right. C Block. Let me talk. I don't have long. It's, uh, we've, uh, um, we don't have a big long C Block for this time around. I remember the first Earth Day. Okay. I was a 13-year-old kid, um, seventh grader at Linmar uh, Middle School. Linmar, uh, Linmar, yeah, I don't even know. Junior high. It wasn't even called middle school. Um, And remember, I said it was a Wednesday, so we were in school. But I remember, um, you know, our science teachers got it behind this, you know, ecology day, okay, Earth Day. And uh, we went behind the school. There was a creek and we we went and we picked up litter and and, uh, talked a little bit about the environment and all that kind of stuff. I also – I don't know why I got it in my head, but I decided that I would fast that day, okay, that I would not eat – as my way to contribute, I, I think, you know, to kind of lessen the impact of man um, and, you know, farming on the world. I don't know. But I, I fasted. I did not eat that entire day. I remember that in part because I was also a cross-country runner. And I remember getting done running and wondering what did I do to myself because um, I was hurting. But I didn't eat. I didn't eat till next morning. I didn't. So, um You know, uh, uh, as I alluded to in the A block, I mean, this was 1970. 
Uh, the war was still going. The Vietnam War was still going on. There were protests all over the U.S. that were anti-war. Um, I was certainly too young to take part in any of those protests, but the psychology stuff I could get involved in, okay? And I did, and it really – I mean I, I deal this for a number of different reasons, um, but the psychology thing goes into that. It really does. And so um, Cedar Rapids, uh, um, around that time, there was a nuclear power plant that was being constructed, and that distressed me to no great end, Okay. Because the power plant supposedly only had a 25-year lifespan, although it's still in operation today. Um, but I did not know that. And they said it would you know, have to be mothballed after 25 years. And it, of course, created all kinds of radioactive waste. I actually wrote letters in the local newspaper about this power plant and about how bad an idea it was. And my, my thing about the environment, about ecology – keep using that word. It's an old word um, – Continued. So by the time I got to college, I uh, paid very much attention to a man named Barry Commoner. Oh, I, for those of our more senior listeners, I just threw a name at you that maybe some of you just smiled about. Barry Commoner was from St. Louis. He taught at Washington University, and he what, he ran for president in 1980 um, on a third party. He didn't do very well. But his idea was um, about cogeneration. He wanted to create a whole system where every household had a cogenerator, had a generator in the backyard where you could burn your garbage, okay, or create methane in some other way, and then generate electricity would then be powered to your house. There'd be no grid. We didn't need a grid. Each house would have its own energy producing plant. I thought that was brilliant. I did. Um, uh, but, of course, the idea never took off. And then I went on to law school at Boston College, and guess what? I get on the law review, the Environmental Affairs Law Review, and I wrote, an envir- I wrote a law review article about surface mining, coal surface mining, like where, you know, um, in West Virginia and uh, Maryland and other places where they do um, coal mining or out in Utah, they, like, take the tops of hills off. I mean, they just, like, totally take them off and, uh, you know— Leave this big scar in the environment. Okay, there you go. How Earth Day impacted Ellie Krug helped her become an idealist. All right, I need to do a big thanks to our sponsor, Branding Electrolysis. When we're back in operation, make sure you go see Bev because she does such great work and Better Futures Minnesota, which gives people a second chance. I need to thank my, my producer, Brett Johnson. Brett, you are the best in the world and you are holding this place together. Man, oh man, let me just tell you, Brett, you are so important, as well as some of our other producers, of course. And to you listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in on every Monday. I know, I mean, you're out of your routine. Maybe you're not even in your car. Maybe you're doing this only by podcast. Uh, Remember, we go nationally and we go worldwide. Um, But I want to thank you. And I want to tell you, hang in there, okay? Hang in there. We will get through this. We will. Okay, that's it. See you next week on LE2.0 Radio. Take care, everyone. Stay healthy and stay well. Bye.